Yeah, so usually on a Sunday, you can find me uh, at the church at the end of the road that the Nascot is on. Um, I haven't enjoyed that much Thai food since I lived there, but it's, uh, it's very good. And um, usually I uh, will have on my robes, uh, all in white, and uh, singing hymns on a Sunday morning. But it's lovely to be here. It's exciting to be here this morning to, to spend time with you and to celebrate uh, the baptisms that we have this morning. Um, it's so great to be here. So, I don't know whether you've noticed, but there is a pool. Uh, it isn't a hot tub. It is a pool. We will um, have a few guys get in there later and, and baptize them, which is really exciting. And um, I just want to take a moment. Maybe you know what baptism is. Maybe you've no idea what baptism is. Maybe you've been brought here by a family member or a friend and you're a bit confused to why there's a big pool in the middle of the church. Um, so let's take a look and think about what baptism is. Baptism is a public declaration of faith. It's the moment where the guys getting baptised um, will declare their faith publicly or for um, Samuel it'll be their parents and their God, his godparents that declare it publicly. They, they, and they become a part of the family of Jesus. And we believe that as they're immersed under the water, as they go under the water completely, that their old life is gone and they come up a new person. Um, they, they, as they go under the water, they represent joining in with the death of Jesus and they come back up out of the water to represent that they are included in the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and if anybody who is getting baptised for um, Lewis and Hadassah, I have chatted to the guys who are baptising you and you will come back up out of the water. So that important part is covered. And today we're, we're following in the footsteps of Jesus himself. He, he got baptised in the River Jordan at the start of his ministry. And uh, we'll, we're just going to read that in Matthew 3, 13, 17. It'll come up on the screen, but if you want to find it in your Bible or on your phone, then please do. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. So picture it with me. John the Baptist is, on the, on the, is in the desert on the side of the Jordan. He's baptizing people. He's um, telling people about the fact that Jesus is going to come. One will come after me who is far, um, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And, he's, and then he sees Jesus coming towards him. And he's like, oh, guys, Jesus is actually here this time. I've done this sermon a few times, but Jesus has never actually been here. This time, Jesus walks towards him and, and, and asks him, well, would you baptize me? And John's like, no, Jesus. This, isn't the, this, isn't, this is the bit where you baptize me. I'm not going to baptize you right now. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I need to be baptized by you. And then he goes on to say, and eventually they have this back and forth. And then eventually John's like, okay, I'll, I'll baptize you. And so he gets baptized. And as Jesus comes back up out of the Jordan, the heavens open and the voice of God comes down and says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And Jesus didn't need to get baptized. He got baptized as an example to us. 
He didn't need to, to go and be baptised. It was to fulfil um, things that people said about his life in the Old Testament. But what we see at Jesus' baptism is that before Jesus has done anything, so this is right at the start of his ministry. He's, he's, not, he's not done any miracles yet. He's not turned water into wine. He's not healed anyone. He's not raised anyone from the dead. He's just, at the moment, to everyone else around, that carpenter from Nazareth who made their mum a table for Christmas the other year. Probably not for Christmas, but um, that bit's not happened yet. Um, he's not done anything yet. He's not done anything impressive. But what we see is that God is pleased with us before we've done anything. He's pleased with Jesus before he's done anything. And therefore, we can see that he's pleased with us before we do anything, before we've achieved anything, before we've um, prayed some great prayers, before we've um, told loads of people about Jesus. He's pleased with us. And we've got a toddler called Olive. She's about 20 months now. And she is um, learning to speak and has got words, I've got a few different words, and um, every time she comes out with a new word, I'm overjoyed. The bar is low for me to be impressed by Olive because anything she does is incredible. Um, but she's, one of her words at the moment is knack, knack, and she says it with that level of aggression, knack. And um, regularly I take our dog, um, Poppy and Olive for a walk, and Pop, Olive will be in the baby carrier on my front, just kind of like moving her arms around and going knack. Knack, trying to reach for my pocket. And, um, and what knack means is snack. And snack, for Olive, is a very important part of the day. And she's asking for a snack. And as soon as I realized that knack meant snack, politely asked to receive some form of veggie straw or malt loaf, she then got whatever she wanted, because I was like, yeah, that's the best thing ever. You can talk and ask me for things. I mean, there are times where knack, when I don't have any snacks, gets a bit tiring. But I'm over the moon when she does it. I'm giving her high fives. We're doing little dances. It's amazing. For me, I'm pleased with her, whatever she does. I'm pleased with her before she's managed to do anything. And the same is true of God for us, that before we've done anything, he's pleased with us. He's over the moon. He's up there in heaven giving air fives to angels. And I don't know whether you've had anyone say something over you or say something to you that just turned your day around and just really stuck with you. Um, for me, words are important. And there's the, the five love languages. I don't know whether you've heard of them. They're um, physical touch, quality time, acts of service, words of affirmation, and gifts. Um, and they're basically like ways that people like to receive love or give love. And for a long time, I thought mine was physical touch and, um, and I like a hug. Um, but actually, what I've realized recently is that it's probably more words of affirmation. And I don't say this for you to come up to me afterwards to affirm me about my sermon. That's not what I'm asking for. I'm just telling you. Um, but the words that people say to me are powerful. And the words that people say to us are powerful. Hopefully, you've had those moments where words have meant something, where they've, they've stuck to you. Maybe you can think of a moment like that now. Uh, there was a while, a while ago, I was, um, I was kind of wondering what on earth was going on with my life, what I was supposed to be doing, and kind of just freaking out that I couldn't do anything and nothing I did was good enough. Um, I don't know whether you've ever had one of those moments, but I went for a coffee with a friend, and um, he, he listened to me pour out my heart. And, um, and then 
And then just like, well, you, there is this that you're good at, and, and this went well, didn't it? And then, and then you could do that, and, and there's this. And I was sat going, yeah, I might have got myself in a knot there. I might have tied myself up. And, and I've been able to come back to those words that he said in that coffee. And I've been able to remember them in other times where I've been like, this is, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and so after that coffee, I was floating on air. I walked down St. Ormond's Road like, I got this, guys, don't worry. Um, and the words that people say over us, they matter. What people say over us can define how we think about ourselves. And it's so important that we know the voices speaking over us. God speaks over Jesus, that he is well pleased with him before he has done anything. Okay, so let's meet another um, character in the Bible. We're going to go to the Old Testament now. Um, after the Israelites have left Egypt, we're going to meet Gideon. And um, Gideon um, lives in Israel, um, and this is at a time where um, the Israelites haven't really done what God has asked, and um, they've been given over to the hands of the Midianites. And I don't know whether you've heard of the Midianites, but the Midianites were not a group of people you wanted to be with, definitely not a group of people you wanted to have power over you. And so the Israelites basically lived hiding in caves and couldn't do anything. And at this time, God had been giving Israel pretty clear instructions again and again, and they choose to do their own thing. So on this backdrop, Gideon, who is the weakest in the weakest family in the weakest clan in Israel, gets a visitor. And in Judges 6, 11 to 12, we read, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So what's going on here is the Israelites are a bit in turmoil. The Midianites are defeating them. They are not doing well. But an angel of the Lord has appeared to, to someone who, if we're honest, is the opposite of a mighty warrior, is the opposite of what you would look at as a mighty warrior. You would not have cast him in the next Marvel movie about Captain America. The Rock is not playing Gideon anytime soon. He is not what you'd see as a mighty, a mighty warrior. The Bible describes him as being from the weakest tribe. He's nothing of significance. He does go on to win lots of battles, and he does go on to be a mighty warrior. But before he's done any of that, he's called a mighty warrior. What we see here is that we don't have to prove ourselves to God. We don't have to, to stomp our foot and make it into existence. We don't have to manifest it. He already sees us. He already calls us. And he wants us from that place. He doesn't want the finished product or the finished version of ourselves. We're welcomed into the family from that place. We don't have to work or to strive to be welcomed home. Back in the, the story, Gideon is hiding, trying to get enough food to feed his family. And I don't know whether you've ever seen a wine press or a place where they fresh wheat. But those two places are not the same. I've never pressed wine, um, but you do it in a specific place. You don't go in with, with your wheat to thresh it. What Gideon's doing here is he's hiding. He's chosen the place that is, feels the safest to go and hide to do it. There's nothing mighty or great at Gideon about Gideon in this moment. And it's from that place that God calls Gideon and sees Gideon for who he is and the worth that he has. And don't you wish that maybe sometimes you could see yourself 
the way that God actually sees you. You might be hiding, but that's not who you really are. God's not looking for our perfection. He's not looking for us to have it all sorted out. He's looking for our heart. All he is looking for is a yes to him. We follow a God who sees us and calls us and wants us before we've been able to prove a thing. How freeing is that? And the guys getting baptized and Samuel's parents and godparents, that's what they're doing today. They're giving him their yes. Like I mentioned, we have a dog called Poppy, and um, she is just over one. She um, is, is a joy. We're training her. We're working at getting her trained, okay? But sometimes, um, when we're on a walk, she, I give her an instruction. She listens and is like, yeah, I, I'm coming. And she, I'll, call, I'll call her, come. And then she'll run and run around me three times and then stop. And then there's other times where we go on a walk and she'll, um, she'll be, I'll call her, come. And then she, she will have seen a little bird or another dog in the distance. And all of a sudden, her ears have stopped working and she's run, she's gone to find the bird. Eventually she'll come back, but it's usually on her own time and in her own way. And I wonder if sometimes we're a bit like that with how we hear what God is saying to us. I wonder if sometimes we get a bit... Like, oh, no, 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 I've got this. I've worked it out. I'm going to go this way. Or, or I can sort this out myself. And then we lose. We lose what God is saying to us. We lose the voice of God to us. We lose that he's calling us a mighty warrior before we've done anything. We lose that he's caught saying, my son, my daughter, with whom I am well pleased. And, um, and, and that's not, and if that is you, then that's not just kind of you by yourself, and you don't need to beat yourself up about that. That's human nature. Whatever you believe about yourself, whether it's good or bad, your brain is set up to pick out any evidence to reconfirm that belief, whether it's damaging or not. So let's say your, your belief is that you're a failure. We, we can succeed 99 times, but if you fail once, you've just confirmed who you think you really are. And so whatever we've said over ourselves, whatever we've believed about ourselves, our brains are just searching out for evidence that that is the truth. But we follow a God and we want to follow him and trust in his truth. We want to be people who know his truth and that to be the thing that sticks. And so instead of letting other voices dictate how we see ourselves, let's let God be the one who speaks loudest over and over and over again. When that voice comes again that you're not good enough, God is saying, I love you. God is saying, I want you. God is saying, I'm pleased with you. Um, and as I come into land, um, as I've been um, preparing for this talk, I have um, needed to almost preach this talk to myself. Um, uh, as I've been doing this, I've been, I've, got, I've been finding myself getting stuck in the words myself. Um, if, you, if you had a look at my iPad, you would find a few other talks that I wrote for, for this morning. Um, and I decided that I needed to be really impressive. And, um, and so I tried to get more and more impressive. And so the talks that you're never going to see or hear make a sound really impressive because they use big words or they use poetic language. But they're not very good. Um, and they didn't really land. 
And all I was doing was trying to make myself look really important and look like I knew that I had the best theology degree or I knew the biggest words. And if I'm honest, over the course of this week, I've had to relearn all of this stuff again, that, that the words that I'm speaking over myself or the beliefs that I have in myself, they're the things that I naturally come back to. So I have to come back to God and say, what are you saying over me? What are you doing in me? Why, why have I got myself stuck in a knot that I need to be really impressive when the only person I need to impress is you and let you speak through me? And um, like I mentioned, Olive has, um, we've got a daughter called Olive and she um, has a white noise machine um, that, that is the best thing ever to get her to sleep. And it basically makes this noise. <sighs> for like 12 hours um, and it's the best thing ever to get her to sleep but it's the most annoying thing ever and um, the feeling of going in and turning it off is like amazing it's like somebody has taken their hand off your head um, it's also great to wake Olive up but um, it's so good to turn the white noise machine and, um, and so much of what we believe about ourselves can become like white noise that we, we don't really notice it and I wonder if today we need to turn off the white noise machine, turn off the noise of the culture around us, turn off the noise of what we believe about ourselves so that the voice of God can speak who we are again, can remind us who we are. Maybe this week you don't feel like you have a lot of space in your week to even begin to do that. Maybe just take a moment while you're, you're doing the washing up or you're driving to work. Um, or you're putting your shoes on, to, to stop, to be still, and to say, God, what are you speaking over me today? What have I started to believe about myself that isn't quite true, isn't quite what you're saying? Where have I decided that I'm one thing when you're actually saying a different thing? And so the reminder for us all this morning, whether you're getting baptised or not, is that God speaks over us. This is my son. This is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. And you might have been striving for the last little while. Um, for, to, for you today, it's that you just need to recognise that you don't have to strive for his love. It might be that um, you've never heard any of this and this is all brand new information to you or, or you don't believe that this could be for you. You might, this might be the day to just let God know that you're here. You don't need to be the finished article, the finished piece for God to want you. All he wants is your yes. And it might feel like you're like Gideon hiding in the wine press, hiding from the world or hiding from God. And God sees you in that place. He sees us in our place of hiding and is with us. And so no matter where you're at today, let's remember that God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for your heart, your willingness to say yes to him. Amen.